You know, Pastor, that song, I learned it a long, long time ago. Growing up in Africa, most of the time we didn't have, a lot of people didn't have Bible. So the missionaries would teach our Bible songs. And I learned that song a long time ago, and it still stuck with me. And praise God for that. You know, songs is one of those things when you learn them, they stay with you. Even as Christian, before you got saved, that song you heard. And sometimes you're walking through the mall and it's playing and you find yourself, says at home, then you stop yourself. Right, Christians? You stop yourself when you start as a singer, right? And that's the thing, the, the impact of song on people's lives. We've got to be very careful with that and learn the right songs, right? I'm not going to sing it for you, though. <laughs> Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, my Father, for the God that you are. We thank you for your mercy and grace. My Lord, I stand here, a nobody like me, my Father, but I thank you that if I was the only person, you would have still come and died for me. And I greatly appreciate that and humble myself, my Lord. Lord, help me tonight. What you have laid on my heart, as I put it full, Lord, let me not say anything that you do not want me to say. I thank you. I thank you for these dear people in Christ's name. Amen. You know, the storm was coming, and I pray so the storm could pass. You know, we have that song that we sing, right? So thunders and rolling, and it, the storm could pass. So we all pray. How many people pray for the storm to pass by, pass all over? You see there? Did God answer your prayer? But then why are you so surprised? God answered your prayer. There's no storm, right? Who could have even come to church this morning? But if the pastor had done that, we'd all be yelling at him that he's trying to put us in danger, right? So that's one of those things. Thank, but we thank God for the pastor, for all he does for us. Yeah. So, okay, when your back is against the wall, how many have had a back against the wall? Right? We all have, one way or the other. If you haven't experienced it, Sooner or later, you're going to experience that when you're back against the wall. What does it mean to have your back against the wall? The origin of this term is not fully known, but there is some agreement that is most likely originated with the military. The phrase originated from a situation when a person is in a fight and his back is against the wall. In a military battle, if you are forced to retreat to a point where you have moved back as far as you can go, and you can no longer move forward without encountering the enemy, it was said that your back was against the wall. While you could not be attacked from behind, you also could not move forward without being under attack. Right? So let's take for example, who here was born before? No, I won't ask that. But we all have read in history, right? I know we have a history buff that he's very good at history. Adolf Hitler, 1945. The Allied forces are coming, and his back is against the wall. And he finds himself in a bunker, right? He and his wife. And there where he entered his life, right? <clears throat> so his back was against the wall. He had nowhere to go, and he took his own life. And I also think about another dictator. His name 
was Idi Amin. He was from East Africa, Uganda. We have a young lady, Sister Polly. She's from East um, Uganda. I'm from the other side on the West Coast. And Idi Amin was a real, real bad man. They call him the Busher of Uganda. That man was evil. He was wicked. He killed for the fun of it. Killed a lot of people for the fun of it. But when time came, his back was against the war. He had to retreat. When, he, when the um, military was coming in from um, Tanzania, the Tanzania forces were coming in. He had to retreat to Libya. Then later on, he went into Saudi Arabia, where he died in 2003. But he was very wicked. And then you have Liberia, where I'm from. In Liberia, we had a civil war that went on from 1980 up until 2003, I think. And during that time, we had different leaders come in and go. And we have this this guy called Charles Tiller that was president of Liberia. He was real, real bad. How many have ever heard of the movie Blood Diamond? It was based upon that. Blood Diamond was from the Sierra Leone. And for some reason, he hooked up with the president of the Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone is a neighboring country to Liberia. And he hooked up with, with that president, and they were real, real bad. They were killing kids. They killed the parents. And then they they'll grabbed the kids to cut their hands off so that you won't fight back. And Charles Taylor, when his back was against the war, I can remember President, United States President um, George Bush got sick of it and said, Charles Taylor, you got to go. And the Americans were lying on the Atlantic Ocean. Morovia is a peninsula, and it's right there on the Atlantic Ocean. And all the U.S. ships were lying like that. And they said, Charles Taylor, you have to leave. You call enough destruction. And that's how Charles Taylor left Liberia, and he f- ended up in a head in prison. And so you see, when your back is against the wall, my friend, when you have nowhere to go, when you're under attack, how about us Christians, when our back against the wall? What happened to us? What happened to us? <coughs> in our lives, we use the term when we are in a bad position or situation, in which we are forced to do something in order to avoid failure. And we have that a lot. The basic understanding is dealing with our back against the wall is for us to understand that God brings our back to the wall so that we will rely on him. Because he is there. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, right? We believe that. God never leaves us. We leave God, right? We walk away from him. God will not fight for us until we learn to trust him. We see the story of the children of Israel in Egypt. It was predicted that the Israelites would have their back up against the wall as it pertained to Pharaohs and Egyptians. To God, it was no surprise. God picked the fight so that we would experience him for who he is. So it's Pharaoh said, okay, God did all these things, all the plagues, 
the ten plagues. We, we went through that. Now we shall see. Instead of telling them to go to Palestine, he told them to go to the Red Sea, right? They're back against the wall. If we look in Exodus, I think it's Exodus 13, 7. I try to put book my in my Bible because when you're up here, thank God for pastor and other people that preach the word of God. They're pretty good at it. Just go through. Like it's a piece of cake, but it's not. <laughs> it's not. So thank God for them that they do it every day. Thank God, Pastor, that we do it once. That we do it once a once a year. But you see it. I forgot. No, I should find it. I should find it. It's Exodus 13:17. That's right. Exodus 13:17. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way. You see, that's what I. God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines. Although that was a near, for God said, Let's peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. God had a plan. But to Pharaoh, he thought God made a mistake. He thought God made a mistake. No, God never made a mistake, my friend. He had a plan. So we see in the end what happened to them, right? We saw in the end what happened. Pharaoh's army got destroyed. But that is not our lesson. That is not our message for today. So God picked the fight so that he would show us we experience him for who he is. We underestimate God many, many times, even as believers. Too many times we act as if God is completely unaware of the war we are back into. God allows circumstances to come into our lives to ship us with trials. To ship us with trials. So now things happen to you. You say, why did this happen to me, Lord? Why? Why? But God does it, my friend, so that we will experience trial through him. With a trial, my friend, imagine I work for a helicopter company. And one of the things, they put the parts through, a, we put it through heat, we put it through coal, they put it through a lot of process. For those of you that are mechanically inclined, you know that. It goes through a lot of process. And if man can do that, because one minute you could be flying in Iraq, one minute you could be flying in Alaska, somewhere. And so those things are put through the process so that they won't fail. So how about God, my friend? God bring us through trials so that we will experience him. Let's look at a few people in the Bible that went through trials. Job had his back against a wall of loss of wealth and health. Can we forget Joseph? He had his back against a wall for imprisonment and injustice. That was not of his own liking. 
Gideon had his back against the wall of war. Ruth had her back against the wall of widowhood and poverty. Of course, David had his back against the wall of a giant named Goliath. He has to face that giant. All of them and more had a back put up against the wall of circumstances by, by the permission of God. This should not be confused not with our natural consequences of sin that we bring upon ourselves. And many things are back against the wall because of our sinful nature. So we shouldn't confuse that when God put me through. Make sure what God is putting you through is not because of your sinful behavior. In Second Chronicles, which is our text, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat had, has safely returned. This is what I'm reading right now, Second Chronicles 19, just a prelude before we get to that. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat has safely returned to Judah from nearly losing his life at Ramah Gilead. God gave him a second chance. Don't you love a second chance when God gave you a second chance? Do you ever question why God gave you a second chance? I was on vacation last week and I got back in Friday evening. And we got home and I need a gas for my truck. So I jumped in the truck around about 6.45 to 7. And I drove down the hill from west where Miss um, Maxine lived on Meadow Street. And as I went down the hill, a car stopped in front of me. Then a nice car stopped. And then I stopped also. And I, the lady, people started turning around and I asked the ladies, what, what happened? Because there was no police. Nothing. And she said, it's an accident. And I went closer and I looked. And a young man. He was on his motorcycle. And apparently he ran into a, a truck that was coming up the hill. And I saw few people that were trying to help him. Before the police or the ambulance got there. It was so sad. I became very emotional, and I started to pray for him. He didn't make it. He didn't make it. So the next Saturday morning, which was yesterday, I usually, Rose and I do a lap around. We usually walk, and I went walking. And I passed that place. I don't think he had on a helmet. His blood was on the pavement. And then I checked the news. He didn't make it. He was 44. He was young. And it stuck in my head. Why do some people get second chance and not others? Why? Why? We don't know. But God does. God does. So we see King Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicle, nineteen verses two to three, 
he safely returned from battle. You know what he did, right? We are not going into that. He has joined his pack, NATO, as I call it, when I was doing my, this study. The North Atlantic. What is NATO? North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Yeah, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And that's a good treaty. That's a good thing. United States and Canada and Israel and a lot of countries are into that. So if a fight starts off, if our United States and somebody can attack, those countries will come and help me. So we see this guy, King Jehoshaphat, had a treaty with his buddy, King Ahab. And we know the story. That's and so he returned. Bellus, King Ahab died in that battle. And he returned. And as he came, in Second Chronicle 19, verses 2 to 3, and it said, Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should as thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land and hast prepared an heart to seek the Lord, and hast prepared an heart to seek the Lord. My friend, God remembers everything. He knows everything about us. Don't never think what you do for God Go on notice to God. He spared his life. He gave him a second chance. Right? Don't never, never. I like a voice in um, Micah 7, 18. It tells us that, Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retained not his anchor forever because he delighted in mercy. Micah 7, 18. He delighted in mercy. God doesn't stand angry with you forever. Ma'am, husband and wife, you're in your house, right? You can't stay angry with your husband or your wife forever. You cannot. You cannot. Hear our God, my friend. If we humble ourselves, if we humble ourselves, he is faithful and just, my friend. He forgave King Jehoshaphat. He knew what he did, what he has done. As I was thinking, something else came to mind. For those of you that work a regular job, <clears throat> you know that you can do all these good things. At the end, if you messed up, coming to the end of review time, you messed up and you sit before your boss, that's the first thing he's going to talk to you about. And, and everything else is downhill from there. But not with God. Not with God. He's a merciful God. He delighteth in mercy. He liked to be merciful to us. 
He lied to. One of the things that we see in King Jehoshaphat's life is he had a humble heart and a relationship, a relationship with the Lord. When our back are against the wall, this is where our victory begins, with a humble heart and a relationship with the Lord that nurture and develop by spending time in his presence. In chapter 20, we now go to our text, if you have your Bible. We're going to go verse by verse. In chapter 20, the men learn about the Moabites and the Ammonites planning attack against Judah. They hurry to Jerusalem to tell the king. Let us look at verse 3. Look how he, Jehoshaphat, responds in verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast to all of Judah. His first reaction was one of fear. My friend, which is a human response when your back is against the wall. However, his next response was born out of a relationship with God. Jehoshaphat turned away from his problem and turned towards God. He turned away from the problem to the problem solver. And he proclaimed a fast. If you look in verse 3 there, it says, And he sought himself to seek the Lord. To seek the Lord. That word seek is a verse, in verse 3 is significant because it shows us the relationship that Jehoshaphat had with the Lord. The word means to inquire for or to task or to ask for someone before or making a decision and taking action and then being humble enough to follow that advice. One thing I don't do too much, I don't give up to my advice. Because people already plan what they're going to do. And then it'll come and it waste your time. What do you think about this? How are you going to do it? I feel for the pastor because he said every time he counsels people. And then they turn around and do exactly the opposite of what he just told them. I feel for him. But now we came to Hasephat. He humbled himself. And that's what is lacking in most of us at times. We do not know how to humble ourselves as believers. But one thing as I read through, what did he do? They pray and they fast. Two things, if you look through scripture, that always come up. Before I move on, let us dwell on this issue of praying and fasting. Throughout scripture, great men and women always prayed and fasted. When an issue at hand demanded it. Remembering the lunatic son in Matthew 17. The father brought him to the disciple and they could not cure him. So he took him to Jesus, and he basically threw the disciple under the bus. And he said, you couldn't cure him. But then again, he didn't throw him under the bus. Jesus is God, right? He knows everything. He knows everything. Jesus cured the man's son. And the disciple got concerned and asked Jesus, why couldn't we? 
Why couldn't we cure him? Why couldn't we? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your own belief, and verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall move. And it shall move. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. I be it this kind goeth not but utter by prayer and fasting. Matthew 17, 20 and 21. Prayer and fasting. As believers, and I'm guilty. My pastor always says, I be transparent. I do pray. I have a good prayer life. And I pray for people. Do I fast for people? No. If it's important, scripture, you're supposed to pray and fast. It's all through scripture. You and I, as believers, most times we complain and complain about everything going on. Our mayor in Stratford, they're carrying out taxes. This, carrying out that. This is happening. Have you ever fasted and prayed for those people? We complain. The country is going backward. Nothing is right. Do you pray and fast for them? Have you? Do we even pray for our own problems before we come here on Wednesday night and, oh, could you pray for me? Nothing wrong with corporate prayer. Don't get me wrong. We ought to pray for one another. Scripture says it. But do we come and give a prayer request and then we forget about it and let other people pray for us? Do we? My friend, we ought to. We ought to fast and pray. Pray for the President of the United States to make the right decision. Pray for those our government officials and fast. If it's that important, we should do it. We should be fasting and praying, my friend. That's what King Jehoshaphat did. When there was problem, he saw there was problem, he called his people, let us pray and fast. Let us pray and fast. We also saw another great man of God, Daniel. Daniel 9, verses 3 to 4 states, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my perfection and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Daniel knew what to do. Remember Queen Esther? When her back was against the wall? Either she didn't say anything and let the Israelites die. No. She said, she told Mordecai, you guys go and pray them fast. Go out and pray them fast. And if I'm going to die... Because, you know, she couldn't go before the king until she was called. She said, I'm going to go. Is that going to cost me my life? Okay, but you go and pray and fast. My friend, I'm saying this because we live in a society that is, I'm not a big food person. But we live in a society that food always around us. 
We got choices and choices and choices. I don't want Dunkin' Donuts. I want, what's the other one? I want Starbucks. I don't want that one from the, um, down the store. I want the, that one. We always wanting something. My friend, fasting is important because it shows the importance of your prayer. My friend, if you went to the doctor today and the doctor told you, hmm, I don't like what I saw. I need you to go home and fast before you go and do your blood work. Are you going to do it? Are you going to fast? Of course you are going to do it. But the doctor told you to go and fast. They're like, that's stupid thing. I've done it twice. Colonoscopy. You got you to, gotta, right? They tell you, you got to do it, right? But when we have issues at hand, when things are falling apart, Oh, we don't like the abortion people. We don't like this group. They're doing this. They're doing that. Have you ever stopped to pray and fast? Have you ever stopped to just give four hours or eight hours pray and fast? Have you ever done it? Have we done it as believers? I'm not saying everyone. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm preaching to myself. I'm guilty. But all day we talk about it. We talk about it. We talk about it. And we see in scripture, every time there was an issue, there was an issue. The first thing they did, King Jehoshaphat, call his people, let us pray, let us fast. Daniel, Queen Esther, and you name it. That's what it did, my friend. Fasting, fasting intensifies our expression of need for something greater than ourselves, such as our Heavenly Father. Greater than ourselves, not just stuff in our face and everything. We have to. We say these things, but we have to mean it, my friend. We can just say, pray, pray, pray. We pray sometimes and prayer becomes a nuttiness. You just, like, okay. Yes, John Brown asked me to pray, so I'm going to pray for him. And you pray it in. I, I like that um, our prayer bulletin now has a prayer section when God answers prayer. It's in there. And that's what I started when I said, how many people pray for the stone to pass over us? I know a number of hands went up. It's a answer prayer, my friend. You pray for it. God answer you. Why are you surprised? Why are we surprised? Because God answer? Because all the tree didn't fall all over the place and we couldn't get to church? I was praying at my house. I have a sump pump, not in my house, but outside my house. When I bought the property, there was a vacant lot next to us. And the water used to flow down. And then they build a house and build a burn. And most times, if my sump pump doesn't work, I come home and I, as my kids used to call it before we did that, Lake Okai form in my yard. And the water starts to back up through my garage door. And into the house, into the garage, and then eventually into the basement. So I was praying. I didn't want that. I knew the sump pump is, is working, but I was praying. I didn't want it. Let it pass. And I spoke to a friend of mine yesterday, like, why storm? I'm praying for that thing to go. I'm like, whoa, that's good. 
What storm? There's no storm coming. There's no hurricane coming. But my friend, <clears throat> we have to be serious. We have to. We can't just be the talking Christian. We've got to be a doer. All through scripture. Those guys, when they couldn't, when the disciples went to Christ and they said, why couldn't we do it? Such require prayer and fasting. Such require prayer and fasting. Was Christ saying that because of him? When Christ fasted 40 days and 40 nights, whatever time it was, it was because of Christ? No. Christ is God. It was an example for us to follow. It was an example for you and I to follow. He was not doing it for himself. It's like you teaching your young child at home to do something, make up your bed, do this, do that. You already know how to do that. You're training them, you're preparing them. And that's why when God says such require prayer and fasting, I'm sure the disciples took it to heart. I'm sure they did. My friend, after proclaiming a fast and gathering others to be in prayer with him, King Jehoshaphat stood before the people and called upon the Lord. In Second Chronicle 26, and he said, O Lord God of our Father, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdom of the heathen? And in thine hand, there not power and might, that none is able to withstand thee? Are not thou our God who didst drive all the inhabitants of this land before thy, before thy people Israel and giveth it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And did, and did dwell therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, if when evil cometh upon us as the sole judgment of pestilence, of farming, we shall stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cried unto thee in our affliction, then thou will hear us and help us. In these verses, Jehoshaphat acknowledged the Lord as the true and living God, as the covenant God, that has given to them, that has given them the land. He tells the Lord that whenever they face calamity, the people will stand in his presence before the temple that bear his name and cry unto thee in affliction. Then thou will hear and help us. In the presence of Judah, the king reminds the Lord of his covenant relationship with Israel. And proclaim victory. Because of his relationship with the Lord, Jehoshaphat knew that Israel would be delivered. But he wanted the people to know what he already knew. My friend is proclaiming the name of God. That the Lord will keep his promise. And God will never forget us. God will never forget us. In Isaiah 43, 26, the verse says, The Lord... The verse says, put me in thy remembrance. Let us now pledge together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. This also applies, my friend, to the church today. 
we see similar instruction in Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this is exactly what King Jehoshaphat did. The next thing that Jehoshaphat did was truly focus on the one who had the answer. He had to recognize and accept that he could not solve the problem. He had to acknowledge that only God could do it. Do you, my friend? Do we now back against the wall? Do you try to solve the problem as a believers? Do you? Do I? Do we try to find a quick fix to the problem? First to us, say, oh, oh, our God, will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. In his prayer to the Lord, Jehoshaphat did something most leaders would never do. He admitted to the people that he couldn't win this. He couldn't win this fight. And that he didn't even know what to do. Imagine if our leader, if our president said that, ooh, we're all gonna go crazy. He doesn't know what is he doing there? How many of us are willing to admit that if, to admit it when we are in over our heads? That we, can fig- that we cannot figure out where to begin. It's not a good feeling, my friend. But that didn't matter to Jehoshaphat. He wanted, he wanted Judah delivered from the hand of the enemy. We see again his humble heart. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Second Chronicles 7.14. Second Chronicles 7.14. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If my people, which are called by my name, my friend, that's what we ought to do. Go to him. Verse 15, after Jehoshaphat told God in the ear of all Judah that his eyes were focused on his ability to deliver them, God gave Jezeel, a Levite, a word of encouragement and comfort for the king and all his people. My friend, when you have, when you're back against the wall and you have given it over to God, given it over to him, you can rest assured the Holy Spirit will speak to you. We don't have a seers that come around nowadays. No, as believers, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. And that's why we have to always be in tune to the Holy Spirit and adhere to the will of the Holy Spirit. Because he would tell us things. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. If you don't allow him, you have free will, my friend. He's not going to impose the will on you. 
will not. But my friend, this guy came and told King Jehoshaphat, God, I've heard your cry. And he said, Hearken ye, O Judah, ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, thy King Jehoshaphat does say the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great, great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God. Our problem, or my problem, I don't know how to do it like this after I've given it to him. And that's our biggest problem. We don't know when to say, it's yours. And take your blanket and cover your head and sleep like a baby. We don't know how to do that. We've got to war all through the night. Get up, walk around, go to the washing machine, put some clothes in it, come back. Because we don't know how to do like this. And say, God, I trust you. I've given it to you. My friend, when an illness comes knocking on your door, when something wrong with the children, if they're not walking like they should be, we give it to God. We don't keep nagging him. One thing Sister Gail always used to say, I don't do my children. And I know what she meant. I know most of you knew her. I don't do my children. They know the truth. I don't do them. You don't keep nagging them, nagging them, nagging them. You give it to God. You fast and pray. Jehoshaphat dismays. His fear, not because he was not real. Not because his fears were not real. But because he put a trust in a living God. When we are in a tight spot, my friend, fear is the natural response. When we act in faith, we make conscious decision not to fear. We don't let us our emotion dictate how we will respond. When we act in faith, we turn our faces away from the problem towards the Lord and His promise. He promises. We turn to Him. That's what we ought to do, my friend. In verses 16 and 7, it says, Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up out of the cliff of Zip. And ye shall find them at the end of the brook, before the wilderness of Jerui, J-E-R-U-E-L. And ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, and be not dismayed. Tomorrow go all against them, for the Lord will be with you. My friend, when you have given it to him, when you have given it to him, and you do this, and you cover, you go to bed and you sleep like a baby, he will take over from you. He will take over from you, my friend. But if we keep trying to hold on to it, no. In verses 16, God tells you, Hasiphah, what he and the people needed to do. Instead of fighting, he told them, you shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourself. Stand you still. Stand you still. And see what is salvation of the Lord with you. 
The word of the Lord was simple. Stand still and see salvation come. But when you are under attack, sometimes you may wonder if there really is a light at the end of the tunnel. You may wonder if you really believe what you, have, what you are confessing. When we can trust God to be God and to wait on him, then we are placing our worries and our anxiety on him. I think it's Isaiah 40, if I'm not mistaken. They that wait upon the Lord shall heal, right? They that wait upon the Lord. We have to learn to wait upon him. We have to, my friend. We have to. Finally, after Jehoshaphat and the people heard God's response, they bowed in worship. And in verse 18, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his feet to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Gave him the glory and praise. After God had answered your prayer and taken care of that illness, has taken care of your children, have done that for you. Don't go breaking around like you did it. No, it's God. The praise belongs to him. Give him the praise. Give him the praise all the time, my friend. Don't go bragging. No. When a king and a people buy in worship, they were taking up their position. We praise and worship God. We are putting ourselves in his hand and letting him carry our anxiety. Every one of us at some point in our lives will experience a time when our backs are against the wall. We have run out of option and we do not know what to do. All, all of our get out of jail card is all spent. You don't know what to do. You don't know. Our back is as far as we can go. And now the only way to move is forward. How do we move forward when we are paralyzed with what has happened based upon our current situation? How can we take a step forward when nothing seems to be working in our favor? Yes, he experienced anxiety. Yes, he had to swallow his pride and admit to the people that he did not have the answer. A responsible that of a man walking on the earth. But he was also a man who had relationship with God. He was a man who knew he had God who had his back. Second Timothy one twelve tells us, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. The second part of the verse. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Against that day. My friend, when you commit it unto God, he will be there for you. When your back is against the wall, when you cannot go forward. You know who's in the back? God is in your back, my friend. God is there. He's back there. Just always remember that he's there. Regardless what the circumstance is, if you have put it in your hand and wash your hand off it, your faith. Growing up, there's a song we sang. I never understood it till lived in life. It says, prayer is the key to heaven. 
and your faith unlocked the door. We sang that song like, yes, sing it because they taught it to us. But I pray, my friend, your prayer and your faith in God. Without faith, you cannot please God. You know that. And I know that. Without faith, we cannot please him. But prayer is thy key. And your faith will see you through when you have brought it to his feet. And so, my friend, do not allow your initial emotion response of fear paralyze you. You serve a great and mighty God. You serve a great and mighty God. Turn from your problem, turn it to the Lord. Give it to him. By doing this, you are submitting to God and recognizing that you are incapable of handling these problems by yourselves. Remember what God said in his word, pertaining to his promises to you. Always go on the promises of God. We sing it, right? I'm standing on the promises of God. Yes, we sing it. We must live it. We can't just be, we can't just say these things and not go follow through with them. Remember who is responsible for fighting a battle. If it is your fight, then it is your responsibility. If it's not your fight, then don't fight it. Give it to him. Give it to him. Don't fight it. Give it to him. However, if you are turning it over to God, the battle becomes his and his alone. Once you have done this, give God some praise. Bow down in worship. Not because he is taking care of your problem, but because he is your father and deserving of your praise and worship. When you praise and worship God while your back is against the wall, you are confirming that a battle is not yours but the Lord. Never, my friend, never, my friend, take the credit. The credit belongs to him. Let us never forget that he cares for us. He cares for us. I'll ask you a funny. If you have your Bible, let's turn to this verse, please. Psalm 68:19. When I, you read the Bible in, year in, year out, and then sometimes you read it again, and the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, and that's that verse that just pop up on you. In closing, let's look at that psalmist. Psalm 68, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Daily, he loadeth us up with benefits. When I read that verse, the first thing that came to mind, I was in Africa 2011. I was there. I went for my mother's funeral. And most people have phones. They don't have a plan like we do in America. They don't have a plan. They have the phone and you load it up with meanings. And so you see, can you please load my phone up so I can be able to call? So that all the meaning you buy, meanings, and you load it onto the phone. And that's how to do it. You pay, pay as go. Not like us, no credit. Pay as go. And so that when I read a verse, that's what stuck in my mind. Blessed be the Lord who did it, Lord, us with benefits. And so I'm going to do something different. What benefits 
any of you today that God loaded you up with today? What benefits, Soshi, God gave you today? I'm sorry for putting you in this spot. <laughs> Think about it. Brother Andrew, what did God load you up with today? He loaded us daily with benefits. What was that, sir? Extra time with your wife because you are not in service this morning. He loaded you up. Isn't that amazing? Anyone else? What benefit did God loaded you up with today? What benefits? I know. God loaded me enough. I'm still breathing. I'm standing here, right? I can breathe, right? I could have been in an accident on, on Friday evening. It could have been me. Why not me? Why that 44-year-old man? That's a benefit from God. He loaded us up with benefits every day. He said, daily. Daily. My friend, you may think you got issues. But one of the benefits today, you're in America, right? You sit in a nice auditorium listening to the word of God. Even if it's not, you're not getting it well from a God as I've asked him. But, but the thing is, you are in America. You're not in Afghanistan trying to get onto an airplane and falling off an airplane. That's a benefit, my friend. Being born in America, don't never take it for granted. Don't ever take it for granted. Being born in America, being an American citizen. God load you up with benefits every day. If you just got a glimpse of how other people live, I know we complain, why do they want to come here? Why do they want to come here? It's because of all the benefits that God has loaded you up with. They want some. They want some. They are much to be appreciated, as bad as we think things are. Before I take my seat, Pray. That is fast, my friend. Take somebody's name. Don't broadcast it that you fasted for someone. Do not broadcast it. But fast for someone. Grab a leader's name and pray for them and fast for them. Could be the mayor of Stratford. Somebody, a police officer. Pray for them. They're back against the wall every day. They make quick decisions. They're back against the wall. Quick decision they have to make. Fast for them and pray for them instead of talking about it. And so, my friend, that's what I wanted to share with you today. If you don't take anything out of this, just remember that when your back is against the wall, remember that God is in the back to guide and to carry you. But you first got to be willing to turn it over to him. You've got to be willing. All right? Let's pray before Pastor comes. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for the God that you are. My Lord, I thank you for the many benefits you, you stole upon me daily, Lord. Food on my table, clothes on my back, family in good health. Even if they're not in good health, we have hospitals, we have doctors. Those are things you normally cannot find in other places. And we have it here. And I'm so thankful, Lord. One of the benefits of having a good church. I thank you for this church and that light that is here, Lord. May we never allow it to go out. But to continue to carry it forth, Lord. 
like the four lepers, Lord, that sat outside the gate and said, if we stay here, we will die. So let's venture out. And when they went out there in the Syrian camp, Lord, all the soldiers were gone. And they ate and they certified themselves. And then they said, stop. We have to tell those people, the Israelites in there, that are locked up in there. And so they did. So, my Lord, may we go out today and be a beacon out there. May we not keep the secret to ourselves. You are a loving God. You are the God that have our back regardless of how we behave. You gave us a second chance like you did with King Jehoshaphat. Thank you so much, my Father, in Christ's name.